Hey, what's up? Mr. Bill here. Uh, first thing, go to my website, mrbillstunes.com. If you want to become a better producer, that's the place to do it, in my opinion. I really believe in the website. I've been putting courses and sample packs and project files and all sorts of shit up there for about 10 years almost at this point. Uh, and I really have heard a lot of success stories, people who, who've gone there, signed up, done a bunch of the courses on there and come out the other side, much better producers. So uh, my guest today is Matt Lange. Uh, he is a producer on Mousetrap and Anjuna Beats. He also has his own label called ISO Rhythm. He's also just a legendary sound engineer. He's done stuff with 30 Seconds to Mars and like Justin Sa Chancellor from uh, Tool. So he's just a legend. He's just done a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I also wanted to mention that my halftime and wub EPs from Dirt Monkey's 19K label are up on Bandcamp. In fact, a lot of music that wasn't on my Bandcamp before is now on Bandcamp. So if you want to go get my whole discography for however much it is, uh, go to Bandcamp. I also put my first tutorial out in about a year that shows a Max for Live device that my girlfriend Yarn made. It's really cool. It's called Splitter. Uh, it splits shit up into stems. So if you want to get a stereo wave, and split it into stems, uh, this Max for Live device actually does that, which is insane. It uses uh, open source AI tech from a company called Deezer, who are sort of like Spotify, but for France, I guess. And uh, yeah, it's just a really impressive device. I, I, made, I thought it was so cool that I made a tutorial about it. And yeah, so it's, it's been really cool. I think I'm gonna get back into YouTubing actually after doing it, I had a lot of fun making that video. Uh, and I think that's pretty much all the stuff. So having said that, um, enjoy the episode. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you're 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 fuck yeah dude well um yeah thanks for coming on the podcast i really appreciate you taking the time yeah man happy to you know everything's so weird right now these little things that pop up you just you take them <laughs> right yeah it's kind of interesting because i've been uh like a streamer and like pretty heavy on the video content creation side of things for a long ass time now it's been actually one of my main things alongside you know making music and releasing music right. and, and touring and it's really um, awesome and interesting to see that just become like everyone's main thing now. Over like, <laughs> it, it's it's odd. I I played around with it for a minute and decided uh, it, it was too crowded of a pond, mm -hmm. and the people who are really good at it are really good at it. Right. And uh, it just I liked the idea of it for a minute, and then I decided, you know what, I'm gonna go back to making music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing right is also this built-in break kind of thing is nice because i don't know i keep thinking like what is it like who do i want to be and what do i want to come out the other side of this with mm -hmm. um and i think it's like yeah it's pretty interesting and cool that we're just um, yeah i mean it's i've had this conversation numerous times now but i think something that's really incredible about this whole situation is the transformation we're going to see out of people or at right, least i yeah. hope i mean i i definitely mm -hmm. know you know there's transformation on my end and it sounds like there is from yours and you know, I, with this kind of thing, you either take advantage of it and 
God, not to sound all like, you know, neo hippie, but, you know, learn from it or change or whatever. Or uh, or you don't. And you watch Netflix all day. And yeah, yeah. apparently there are a lot of people doing that, too, because Netflix added 16 million subscribers last month. Jesus, that's a lot. Yeah. You'd think they want the pandemic to keep going, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, the whole pandemic was started by Netflix. Not in a Chinese lab. It was actually started in San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. By uh, Netflix CEO. Yeah. yeah Reed. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it was started literally by the Tiger King himself. Now that would be amazing. <laughs> Did you how watch by, no, he ate a tiger. That's how it started. No. <laughs> yeah. He uh, ate a tiger claw. Did, did you watch that series or? No, it, it, it I just didn't want to put myself through it. Right. <laughs> I, I, I tend to find the minute I find, you know, the internet or Twitter or anything like that exploding with, you have to see this. That's usually my ticket to not see it. Right. Like contrarian style of thinking. You're like, fuck that. <laughs> not even. It's just, if it's like a lowest common denominator thing, right. if you know, all these people love it, I probably know I won't. Okay. <laughs> With the exception of like a Christopher Nolan film. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I'll give you the lowdown. Basically, um, this dude makes his money via cub petting, right? So he breeds right. cubs, small tigers, and then people come and pet those cubs, make a shitload of, he makes a shitload of money by, you know, them getting to pet the cubs and then they get to take little photos with baby tigers. But then obviously by doing that, he ends up with huge fucking tigers. Right. So he has a giant ranch with some somewhat like 300 tigers on it or something. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I read a bit about it and then he like, he tried to put out a hit on, you know, this like conservation lady or something like that. Yeah. And the conservation lady also is being sort of like touted as a murderer as well because um, her husband like a few years ago just uh, went missing uh, mysteriously. Yeah, this is why I decided not to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little bit dramery for sure. But I don't know, I just thought like the whole concept of like this fucking flamboyant dude in a flannelette shirt and like is like gay and has a blonde mullet and like right. eyebrow piercings and shit just like owns 300 tigers. Yeah, it looks absolutely ludicrous. In, I mean, in you, you middle America. Right, of course. Or Florida, isn't it? Uh, no, it's it's in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Got it. <laughs> The uh, only other place that could happen. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Did you see the guy in Florida last week who went to the beach dressed in a Grim Reaper costume? <laughs> no. Uh, I saw like my man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know how there's that meme going around for a while where people were googling like your your um your birthday and then Florida man and then it will just come oh, back yeah. with like Florida man on this date did these things. Oh jeez. Uh, and it was always like the most heinous, ludicrous shit that you'd like ever see. And oh, I should do that right now. I'm really curious. It'll come back with just the most crazy shit. But the reason why it happens is because Florida has a rule where any crime like that gets immediately uh, publicized. Here so, we go. What did you get? Um, I got Florida man who carried alligator into liquor store doesn't remember the incident. <laughs> yeah exactly it's just it's just always like the most ridiculous shit and like then that. and then there's video of it of this guy literally walking in with an alligator oh my god yeah that's some exactly but um so i i thought about this i was like well, surely you could do that with like any state right but then i tried it with like los uh yeah los angeles i think i tried it with and it was like la man donates like sixty thousand dollars to a school yeah no there's <laughs> something special about florida in particular yeah i 
I thought that, but that, I think it, it's a mixture of that plus they just publicize all their crimes. I see, yeah, I mean. They're kind of like, that's one of your punishments in Florida is, is now everyone knows you're, you're an idiot. I mean, I think you're an idiot to live there in the first place. Most of the time that, <laughs> that excludes, you know, my friends who live there. But, uh, right. What about, uh, Bob, uh, what's his name? Bob, fuck the guy who wrote the book on mastering Bob Katz. Oh, he's in Florida. Yeah. He's a digido. It's in Orlando. No kidding. I always thought he was up in uh, Maine or something like, I'm thinking Bob Ludwig. That's what I'm thinking of. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, Bob Katz is there. And, uh, my acoustician actually, Matt Davis, who I've had on this podcast as well. He's, he's also from Florida. He's, he's also in Orlando, which is the reason I know that Bob Katz is there as well. Yeah. I've got a couple of friends in Miami, so I understand. Nice. That's yeah. That's how you end up in Florida is you, you move to Miami. Right. Uh, one of them's from there. Nice. So, you know, kind of born and raised thing. And then, uh, actually I think my other Greg, he, uh, he works at Avid. Um, he was born originally in, uh, Jamaica, I believe. And hmm. uh, then, yeah, he moved over to Florida when he was a kid. So he's been there, I think, ever since. Nice. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, um, it seems like an okay place to live. I mean, it's really cheap. Yeah. Uh, and Full Sail University is there, I guess, right. if you're into the um, academic circles. And honestly, I mean, I've, I really like being in academic circles. I find it to be pretty inspiring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I've noticed about this whole pandemic is, um, you know how like you walk into a school and you can kind of feel everybody thinking Mm -hmm. and it just feels like kind of sick to know that everyone's just there, like in their, in their world, like learning shit and thinking and trying to solve problems and stuff like that. Right. I feel like that energy has existed a little bit through this pandemic. It's kind of like you can feel everyone doing shit, but like, it's interesting. I think it's a lot of people, at least because I mean, we're only really seeing this on the internet, you know, aside from the odd phone call here and there. But I think a lot of it is you see a lot of people trying to like uh, trying to phrase this in a way that sounds better than the way I'm thinking it in my head. Um, But it's not grasping at straws. You know, there there is a you do see a lot of that. But I don't know, maybe, you know, what is it? Uh, Necessity is the mother of invention or whatever. And because of the limitation of of this current situation, anyone who's a DJ, I mean, <laughs> they're screwed right. uh, or like purely a DJ. So now you see, uh, you know, like everyone is basically like DJing live streams, which is an interesting thing. Um, I'm waiting to see what people do. That's original. And there is some of that coming. I mean, and I've seen some of it. Um, but I don't think anyone needs to watch another person do the same exact thing on a Twitch stream. Right, like stand behind a or stand in front of a bunch of flowers and posters, DJing. Yeah, in there. yeah, I, whatever. I get that. You know, um, and it's like I get it. You know, if you have like an established fan base and they want to see you, they want to see you perform, and then mm-hmm. you're just performing to you know your diehards. I get that, um, and I respect right. that. I understand that. But yeah, it's it's interesting when you see this whole population of people all decide this is what we're gonna do now, and and it's just a. Uh, I don't know. It's a herd mentality thing, I think, more than anything else. And I'm, mm. I'm really curious to see, you know, who are the outliers? Who are the people who grow beyond the status quo? Well, also, it's like we're given this new medium now in which to perform like on, online. It allows you to do a lot of uh, interesting stuff, like more engagement with the audience than you can do in a club. 
plus like your visual show can be sort of like overlaid uh against you and like i mean it's a whole different medium and you have to kind of treat it as such but more more or less what i was talking about is um not so much like the performance side of things but just the fact that people are doing fulfilling shit like i've noticed a lot of people are getting into baking for instance and i've noticed a lot of people are Oh yeah, man. I mean, if you look at, I mean, at least on my social media, like every second post is somebody making sourdough bread or croissants. And then, oh, that, um, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's this sort of like fulfilling stuff that people are kind of maybe like, oh, I've always wanted to get into doing this thing. And, you know, I feel really good about doing this thing. It's kind of flooding, flooding the air with this energy of people doing fulfilling shit is what I, what I was talking about, I guess. Well, I know on a personal level, I mean, I'm not posting pictures of what I'm cooking but um right but obviously I mean I am we, we have to cook every meal now you know consequently I'm doing a lot more dishes than I used to which is <laughs> annoying but uh and I'm drinking a lot less beer than I used to because I can't go to the brewery anymore <laughs> so I mean I think I lost six pounds in the first like week of this it was kind of funny yeah um, it's just like beer weight just disappearing you know yeah totally um yeah that was another thing I wanted to talk to you about because you're a, you're a big beer drinker as am I yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about like uh, how you feel about drinking a lot of beer because I personally don't feel great about it myself, and I take these like long breaks all the time. And I think last right. time we hung out yeah. in person, I was taking. I a remember. Long break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's well, I love beer. I love everything about beer, except how it makes me feel the next day and <laughs> the uh, the weight it puts on my body. Right. But I hear your cat. And, yeah, uh, my, and, well, it's funny. One of mine is like walking on the keyboard right in front of me too, so she wants to be involved. <laughs> but um, but I love the taste of it. I love how refreshing it is. I love the culture of it. Um, that's a oh no, don't step on the Pro Tools keyboard, Kira. She just <laughs> opened up my disk drive instead. Oh, um, no, it's just it's fine as long as it doesn't stop recording. Um, I love the culture because it's very. Um, you know, it's artisanal and it's people who are really passionate about what they do. And L.A. has such a good beer scene. And I live really close to one of the best beer bars and basically the uh, where the Highland Park Brewery started. So the culture of it's great. I mean, it feels like a family. Everybody knows each other. And I love it also because it's an escape from music. And it's a community where I'm just a, a fan of beer and I don't have to talk about career stuff or anything like that. It's just, you know that's just what I do and it's not my identity which is that's a nice break yeah I would agree I I had a experience like that um when I was at my old studio because my old studio was in Colorado and Colorado is the same it has a great beer scene and uh there was a crazy good bar across the road that was brewing their own beers and yeah I'd spent a lot of time in there and I kind of felt the same way it was like a good break from music where nobody in that bar knows who you are or gives a shit about what you do but everyone there shares just this love of drinking beer yeah yeah it's it's a nice change of pace and you still feel connected to a community without everything that goes around the uh the musician side of it right yeah i've had to take even more breaks uh recently just because um not only do i feel like it fucks up my body and like you know obviously puts a lot of weight on my body plus um it's not good for your liver and stuff like that. But also I feel like it was just slowing me down too much mentally. Like I would notice when I was talking to people, I'd be trying to explain some idea. And usually, um, especially 
uh, from from an educator's perspective, trying to explain something pretty abstract, you know, like something that doesn't exist in the real world and using a lot of words that you don't normally use right. to, to explain everyday things. Um, and I would just like every fucking four sentences, there'd be a word and I'd just be like, shit, I can't think of the word. Yep, yep. <laughs> and um yeah i don't know it's just that like brain rot that started to uh, really freak no, me I've, out i've totally had that too yeah that that's what really scares me about it but also it's like the yeah the self-medication aspect of it i'm not a huge fan of either because i feel like there's just better ways to deal with stress than there drinking. there totally are and that's always been the uh my number one way of doing it so it's uh well it's the path of least resistance way of doing it because it's easier than doing exercise it's a shitload easier and or it seems more leisurely and enjoyable than doing, say, like, I don't know, meditation right. or, uh, you know, yoga or something like that. It just seems, yeah, it's like a very path well, of least resistance, instant fix way of just being and like, it's, fuck you. And <laughs> right. And it's fun. Right. Exactly. I mean, just chemically, it just, you know, it, it, it ups your serotonin really quick. Yeah. Makes I you mean, feel jolly. Right. Right. Of course. I mean, it is a, uh, it's a wonderful <laughs> drug. But right. The, yeah. You know, there's people who um, have a different genetic in their body though that makes them feel completely differently with alcohol yeah. Yeah. so i'm i'm assuming you're probably of the like british irish heritage right yeah yeah as am i and i think um people with british irish her- heritage have have a genetic that makes them predisposed to alcoholism and when you're drinking you feel the ethanol in your blood rising and then as soon as that starts to drop it starts to make you kind of like depressed or whatever right right, um, right. whereas these other people without that genetic they, they might feel good on the way up, but then when their shit just starts dropping, instead of feeling depressed or anything, they, they generally just feel tired. Yeah, I mean, I usually feel tired more than depressed. Um, right. Like, I definitely find, I mean, yeah, the way it functions is, you know, you get excitement, so you want to keep feeling excited. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like you, you kind of get like, oh, like, I, I want that again. So you drink more yeah. beer, right? So, yeah. Not depressed, though, that's probably the wrong word. Yeah, it's a it's a slippery slope, but right. you know, as I've gotten older, it, it's a lot easier for me to know that you know, okay, I should stop at three or something like that. Three a.m. Well, there's that too. Uh, uh, three beers. <laughs> three beers. I mean, yeah, in general, right. you know, some nights are more, but uh, I mean, recently I'm just drinking wine. But oh, nice. Well, it's just because it's easy, and I went to Trader Joe's and I got two cases of wine for you know, for like 150 bucks or something. It was so cheap. And just cause I didn't want to have to go back there. And I was like, what's going to stock me up for a month straight <laughs> and like, wine. Yeah. And, uh, but it's different because so I'll, I mean, I, I end up drinking a fair amount of wine only because, you know, I'll, I'll open the bottle when I start cooking dinner mm-hmm. and say that's at, you know, 7 PM or something like that. And by midnight, I'm going to kill the bottle probably. Right. But you you don't really, you don't get drunk on that. Well, yeah. If you span it over enough hours, you just kind of keep like a buzz going or whatever. It's like a, it's a really, really mild buzz because you're right. basically only having a glass of wine every hour and a half or something like that. So yeah. it's, then it kind of, you know, you start wondering what's the point. <laughs> tastes good. Right. Tastes good, but it's kind of bad for your body, I guess. Uh, it's not that bad. There are worse things. Yes. Well, yeah, of course. Shooting yourself in the leg would be way worse. That would that would be significantly worse. <laughs> um, do you have much structure, like in in your life, given that you're sort of um, like all 
physical event meetup routine kind of stuff is out the window? Um, truthfully, my life isn't that different because I mean, I, I live by myself and I work from home. So that's Mm -hmm. none of that has changed. Right. The only difference is, um, yeah, I can't go out at night. And that was usually like my structure traditionally. And it's, it's definitely gone out the window a bit, uh, during this whole pandemic, but I'd always get up around eight thirty, nine, something like that. And then, uh, be working by 10, work until one or something like that. And then go out and get some exercise for a couple hours, come back, um, eat something and go back to work again, then make a late dinner and then maybe go to the bar after. And, um, the only thing that's really changed is, uh, obviously there is no bar, but I've been working a lot later hours. And, uh, that's because there's, well, suddenly you just start working on something <clears throat> at 11 PM cause you're still home and then it's 4 AM. Mm-hmm. And for the first few, I would say actually the first month of this, I was, I was up till between four and 5 AM every night. And that it kind of wrecked me actually. Um, and I, uh, I was productive as all hell. I mean, I, I mean, I've almost written a whole new album in the time that this whole thing started and that, uh, but I was getting up really late every day. I was getting up at like 10 or 11 and Damn, that's I've like tra- normal for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like being up early. I, I feel, I feel better about it. I don't like it when suddenly it's, you know, 9 PM and, or like the sun just went down and, you know, you barely feel like you've done anything. Yeah, yeah, so, true. It's a good yeah, point. it's just it's a productivity thing, and I I am more of a day person than a night person in general. Right, I just end up being up pretty late, but consequently, since there is no everything's in the twilight zone right now, you know, so so any kind of st- structure or schedule I had is kind of out the window. I'm I'm just taking it day by day at this point, and as long as uh you know I I accomplish something each day. Or I decide, you know what, you need to take a day where you don't. And then I have to have like catch up days too, where I just clean the house and do all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I feel that. You know. um, yeah, I've noticed like having a really structured setup with like task list manager type things and like GCAL events just for myself. Yeah. And stuff like that has been pretty helpful. Um, yeah. What kind of exercise were you doing like before the quarantine? Uh, skateboarding. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're a yeah, skateboarder. Yeah, yeah, I've been skating for, God, 20 years. Um, but uh, so I still do that, but not as frequently, uh, mainly because the skate parks are closed now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've basically like found some parking lots I can take a flat rail to. But it's, uh, it's a very different thing because that was such a social thing for me, too. That was right. often my social activity. And obviously, that's not social, although I'll go out with one friend every now and then. But... Um, but what I've started doing a lot more is walking and just like I, I leave my house once a day just to get out. And I discovered that uh, there's a hill over by me. I live in Highland Park in L.A. and it connects. Uh, there's a hill that connects to Eagle Rock and which is like the neighborhood uh, neighboring Highland Park. And there was this hill I'd always drive over just to go to the grocery store or something like that. And I never, I always saw that there was like a hiking trail, but I never actually went up it. I just never thought about it. And with the advent of this, I started walking just to get out of the house. And the amazing thing is when you actually, when you're on foot, you discover all these nooks and crannies you never knew existed because when you're in a car, you're only staying, you know, basically on direct paths. Mm -hmm. So I've discovered this hill now that um, gets pretty high up there. And it's, you know, I'll do this basically a two mile loop. And that's, uh, takes, you know, an hour, hour and 15 
and it's a great it's a workout like it 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 takes the breath out of you and that's been um i do that any day that i don't go skating so i'd say i do that four times a week probably nice yeah honestly um walking is great i mean people people who are generally into running and stuff you'd think like walking wouldn't fuck them up or wouldn't be that hard but yeah if you put enough of an incline on it and then if that gets too easy start adding weight vests gets pretty tricky yeah i mean mine just become hikes basically like i i walk to the hike and then i walk home and the fact that i can do that all without driving is quite impressive to me Mm. oh yeah totally um yeah i mean i know all about the hills i've been living in san francisco for the last four months right yeah the hills here are crazy yeah yeah so what else should we talk about i guess let's talk about music shit a little bit i guess um you said you've written like almost an album and i know (laughs) historically you've been trying to well not trying you've been releasing your music mostly with mousetrap uh i want to i guess ask about how you feel about label releases versus independent releases i just don't really do them anymore label releases yeah in general um yeah. i mean there, there are exceptions here or there i mean i'll do a one-off ep uh periodically with a label um like i just did with anjuna i guess in the fall but um for the most part i'm at a stage in my career and you know this is a luxury but I can do everything myself and mm-hmm. it comes down to what are you going to do for me that I can't do already for myself and then you're going to take the money. So why? Well, generally it's, um, I guess, outreach to new fans, right? Yeah, but I mean, I think so much is Spotify based now anyway and that's algorithmic for the most part. People don't read mm-hmm. blogs anymore. Uh, I mean, YouTube, I guess is, you know, we can say, we'll put you on YouTube. And I, I, I don't personally see the value of, you know, giving up 80% of my record just so I can be on a YouTube channel with, you know, 200,000 followers because 80, the con- 80%, uh, well, if you did a record deal, that's, you know, 80, 20 in the label's favor, which is relatively traditional. Wait, really? Still, yeah, they still exist what i've never seen that i've yep. the the worst i've ever gotten is 50 50 oh i got seven percent once what the fuck like how many people were on the record like it was a matt lange or matt nope. lang it was me right. it was me the record label um basically it was a 14 percent royalty which was like this is a long time ago but um and this is basically uh this was a screw up with spotify and itunes and or it was like the early days of that so basically um the royalty rate was 14 percent, which was traditional like a traditional uh, major label kind of royalty was about 15 and this was 14 and then this is also you know when they made physical and they uh, and then there was a clause for digital distribution would be 50 percent of clause 2c and 2c was the part that said 14 percent. so seven percent was digital and that's Damn. when Spotify hit. Damn. Yeah. Well, that sucks. yeah I, don't, I don't think I ever recouped that one. <laughs> yeah. So wait, re- recouped like as in you had costs to make the album, right? Uh, well, there was, it was just, it was a single, but I mean, there was an advance. So, right. you know, that's also when there were advances back in the day. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of advances here and there, but it's pretty rare. So for those listening who don't know what that means, 
that basically means a label approaches you and says, we want to release music from you. Um, here's $500 to make a song or you know, 10 grand to make an album or however much it is that they give you. And then you basically, nobody makes money until it recoups that advance, right? Right. And it's pretty evil because um, a traditional record label is basically the worst kind of bank loan you could ever have. Because traditionally, that's what their function was, was they would front you, um, well, let's go back when records actually made money. A record label fronts you $500,000 to make an album. Uh, <laughs> 250000 might be the recording fund. The rest of it is an advance. And we're, we're talking a major label deal here. But um, in order to pay that back, you have to pay them back $500,000, obviously. But you got to pay that out of your 15%. So it's not dollar for dollar. It's 15 cents to the dollar that's paying mm-hmm. back that 500 grand. Oh, so right. In, because they're taking their 70 or 85% right. from the. Right. And that, that has nothing to do with your recoupment. That's what they're yeah. taking. But then you have to pay back $500,000 out of 15%. Oh, wow. So you never make anything, basically. And they make. Well, lots. you can. <laughs> but they would make $10 million in the time it took you to. Well, not that much. But, you know, it, it would. They'd make millions of dollars in the time it would take you to recoup five hundred grand. Right. Yeah. That. Fuck. And so, yeah, yeah. That and that's really why <laughs> a big part of why a lot of this is breaking, or the record label industry has been breaking, because it's it doesn't make sense. And especially now, there's no manufacturing cost. You know, no one makes CDs anymore. That's gone. I mean, vinyl is being made, but it's still relatively small. Well, it's not that. Uh, yes, it's not even that. Um that it's not being made as like nobody wants it right like it's just so much easier to have every possible right. song you would want on your every, phone everyone wants spotify yeah right i mean at this point i don't even want to download files for the most part i don't even want to own the waves on my computer at this point you usually i do um mainly because what? of the quality oh right Man, I don't know. I, I have like a pretty fucking nice studio and I have like barefoot MM27s. Yeah. And like I said, I had a really nice acoustician who works very closely with Bobcats come in and treat my room. Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest, like even with a crazy good room tune and really nice speakers or my Audi's LCDXs, which are fucking yeah, I know amazing those. headphones, um, I, I still can't really tell the difference. For between, me, it's depth. Yeah, okay. Um, what, what do you mean like, by that? Like the sound almost uh, like the audio sounding almost more 3D. Like you can actually see yourself inside of it. Whereas an MP3 tends to feel a little bit more two dimensional to me. Okay. And have you done ABX testing with that? Yeah. Okay. So also for those listening who don't know what ABX is, it's where you, um, you basically need two people to do the test, but there's also some plugins that will do it now. Like there's one called uh, Hofer double blind. Um, and you load however many files, uh, I think it's two, right? So you just load in an A and a B and say the A is the MP3 and the B is the wave, but you don't know that. Right. Um, and then you get somebody to play the files back to you. Um, and then you have to say like, that's B or that's A. And then you do that a couple of times and basically see if one, you can even pick the same file every time. Like, you know, you might be like, oh, that's B and then they'll play it again and, and you'll be like, that's A, but they really just played B twice, you know? Yep. Uh, and then secondly, if you can even, <clears throat> uh, in this case, tell the difference between MP3 and wave, but sometimes you do these tests with like, I don't know if you're shooting out like a hardware compressor versus it's, versus it's uh, software emulation or something like that. 
Um, but ABX testing is a great way to to really defalsify like any things you might be thinking in your brain if you're um, if you're curious about like whether or not something is important to you as the listener. Yeah, that that's a great way to do it. Yeah, it, well, I remember there was a, a study some years back where they played MP3s and waves to um, I guess to younger people at the time, and this is when I think MP3s were. I mean, on average, I think iTunes was what, like 192 kilobytes per second or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe 256. Or maybe there are 256 <clears throat> now. I don't know because it's an M4A. Regardless, um, the younger generation preferred the sound of the MP3 every time over the wave because right. that was Probably. the sound they were accustomed to. Exactly. Yeah, I was more familiar and humans a big fan of familiarity. Yep. Hence why pop music is pop music. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, yeah, I, and obviously, like when we're talking about this, I, I definitely mean when we're talking about MP3s, I'm talking about 320s. Yeah, sure. I think that's much. Yeah, <laughs> no one, no one does anything but a 320 now. Yeah, exactly, and that's what Spotify streams back at, I, I believe. Uh, it's I think it's 256, but it's an OGG file. Okay. So it's a different encoding. So it's supposed to be comparable to 320, I believe. Uh, uh yes. Ogvorben. Yeah. Ogvorbus, I think. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, didn't they do something like that with uh, SoundCloud? Uh, it was 128 MP3 for a while. Oh, God. And then I mean, sound cr- it still sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I pretty mean, it bad. Just, it crunches your high end so badly. Yeah. Then they switched it to 64 Opus Ugh. and everyone was like complaining. But apparently 64 Opus is as good or better than 128 MP3 because it's like a more eloquent compression method. Right. Um, also, I didn't really realize this, but um, the way that the compression in MP3 works, I believe, happens based on like how loud and how quiet things are. Like it looks at the amount of bits used per part of the wave file. Mm-hmm. Um, same same way that FLAC works as well, and the same way that like zipping a file works, right? Like if you right. um, if you zip a bunch of files together, it kind of looks at like the bits in each yeah. file, and then sort what of can just I take out that yeah you know, isn't relevant. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. I only learned that recently. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, but it's interesting. You ever um, ever take an MP3 in a wave and then flip the phase so you see what you're missing? Yeah, it's usually like spectral high end shit. Yeah, that it's pretty revealing. Mm. And I would notice it because, like, I in my own music, I like a lot of like very very lush and pristine highs. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a big part of why I notice it too. Is because all my stuff that's really really high just vanishes well speaking of lush and pristine highs like maybe that could be a good segue to start talking about hardware because i know that you're like a big hardware user then there is a lot of hardware yeah yeah and i would actually say that hardware has less lush and pristine highs than digital stuff or at least maybe not like lush might be the wrong word for digital but maybe less like it just has less high frequencies i think um yeah i would agree with that and then i mean where where the high end ultimately comes from is you know pushing pushing a digital eq traditionally typically right but um but it starts with a really nicely recorded analog signal path for mm-hmm. the most part and yeah and i don't know i mean that that always just yeah because i mean even if like say i'm just recording a hi-hat or something i mean i'm not taking a hi-hat sample nine times out of ten i'm i'm tracking it or something that's supposed to sound like a hi-hat or something like that and uh like recently I did it with like a wine glass. I was just tapping a wine glass with a, a fork or a pencil or 
something. I don't even, oh, no, it was a little screwdriver. That's what it was. And, and I mean, it was recorded nicely, though. I mean, I recorded it with uh, it's a Neumann uh, 184, a KM 184. And then that went into like a Neve 1073. And then that goes into the Pro Tools converters. So it's all really high end. And, um, and then on top of it, then I'm getting these really nice, you get a really sharp transient with it. It hasn't been compressed at all. And it's not like a, a pre-made sample that's already been squashed to death. So con- consequently, you have an opportunity to really take out exactly uh, what element you want out of it. And you can get these really beautiful high ends. Or like if I have a, an Avalon 737, which um, the I, I love the EQ on it. And it, it's a tube channel strip. And I, it's one of those things that I would boost 15K on it all the time because it just made everything sound better. Or even um, in, in the box, the Slate has their new version of an API EQ, the 550. Mm-hmm. And man, like that thing's incredible. Like you, again, you can boost 15K and you could boost it by 12 dB and it doesn't hurt. It just sounds better. You're talking about um, the digital version of the API? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the analog ones too, yeah, of course. But yeah, the digital one, just in the, the Slate plugin. It's you, sli- so you rate the slate stuff. I love. Uh, I use it a lot. Yeah, nice. I actually haven't used it, um, but I have heard from a lot of people, like a lot of really established, like people I trust. Like for instance, like your opinion, I would trust. Um, but a lot of people whose opinion I would trust as much as yours as well have have all told me that the slate stuff is actually fucking legit. It's great. Um, it's really. I've been a fan of their stuff for a long time, but it's. I truthfully really get a lot out of it. Um, and I was kind of iffy about, cause now they do everything in the virtual mix rack, which is like a big plugin wrapper there, you know, just so you can use all the individual things kind of like if they were a 500 series rack right. as opposed like to kilohertz snapping yeah, sort of thing. That kind of, yeah, that kind of concept. And in general, I'm usually not big into it, but with the slate stuff, it started to make a lot of sense because there are so many individual components now mm-hmm. and it's so quick just to. Because I'll like what I'll often do. I'll, I'll throw in like um, an SSL EQ and then follow that up with uh, API EQ and then put a distressor after that. Right. And oh man, I, I love the hardware distressors for sure. Like if I was gonna get, too. yeah, if I was gonna get any, I think like hardware <clears throat> compressor type thing, I think a Empirical Labs distressor would be maybe the move. That's that's what I would do too. Yeah, um, I love especially you got to get a stereo pair with the Brit mod. Right. Oh man, they sound they sound incredible. I think, um, yeah, the reason why Slate gets such a bad rap is because a Steven Slate is like such a meme. Well, and yeah, he he's got this persona, right? Um, and it's always been like New Jersey car salesman kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And people like on the internet will just instantly sort of tear that shit apart. Same with yeah. the Cym- Cymatics kind of guys. It works well. so well for him though, because everybody talks. Right. Exactly. You know, it, it's brilliant marketing. It kind of is, yeah. I mean, it's almost like you you want to pick some someone like that to be your front man if you're going to be a plug-in company. Totally. I mean, they're they're massively successful. Totally. Uh, um, and I I I stand by their work. You know, they they make really good stuff. Even like I've been using their drum samples for forever. Cymatics or Slate? N- no, Stephen Slate drums. All right. Okay. Like since version two point five or something like that. Like it was you know the acoustic drum libraries. Right. They've always just been really really the best there are a couple others i mean i use the get good drum stuff now sometimes too oh dude i love that stuff yeah yeah misha, I mean, yeah, misha and, and matt, matt stuff and i mean it's 
that stuff's great. But um, but traditionally, yeah, the slate drums were always where I would go, and I still think my favorite snares come out of that. Hmm. Yeah, the other thing that I that kind of turned me off it originally, and not to really like badmouth waves, but um, I don't know, I never really gelled with the wave stuff too much. To me, there was uh, just way too many plugins. I, like when I installed the wave shell stuff, and I was like, "What? There's like a thousand fucking EQs." Yeah, and I just couldn't like. I don't know. It, it would just give me option paralysis, and then I'd just be like, "Fuck it," and just whip out EQ eight with it's Ableton funny. stock EQ or whatever. Because like I, I've had wave stuff <laughs> forever. Um, only because when I was at Berkeley and this was 15 years ago, mm-hmm. um, we had like a waves Berkeley bundle mm-hmm. and it, it only had, you know, five plugins in it or something. It was like re- the Ren- Renaissance compressor and R verb yeah. and like, you know, e- Q- or the REQ, Q4 or whatever. not even Q4, it was just like Renaissance EQ. Okay. Um, it was really basic, but there was some stuff out of waves that I loved, especially for doing like audio suite processing. And it was like the the flangers and, and the uh, Enigma, which was like a phaser. And it was for that kind of like interstitial, just like manipulate one sample really quickly or one mm-hmm. audio region. The wave stuff was so good. And I still use it for that. And I, uh, a, f- a few years ago, cause the price has dropped dramatically. I mean, it used to be a grand or whatever to get gold and now it's like 200 bucks. Right. So, so I bought waves gold, I don't know, sometime in the last eight years. And, um, I don't use all of it, but I do definitely use some of it. And like the waves doubler, I use that actually pretty frequently. True. Uh, So they actually, um, full disclosure gave me their entire bundle. Yeah. And and it's just too much, man. Like it's, I, I've talked to them about this too. And, and I hit one of them up one day. I was like, Hey, mine just like suggesting to me, maybe like, I don't know, five of your favorite waves plugins. And he came back to me with a list of like 50 and I was like, that's still way too much. Right, I right. I, like I just don't need seven to 12 different EQs at my disposal. I really feel like I'm pretty good just with Pro-Q2 and Soothe. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side of the boat. I'm equilibrium for all my EQ or, or you know, my like surgical EQ work. Right, okay. But then, you oh. know, I, I'll use like the APIs and the SSL stuff for character. Right. I feel like to get like, so I like making fairly complicated music, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like to make stuff more complicated, you almost have to make it more simple for yourself. So like, um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like if to get a kick drum record, like happening in my DAW, I need to set up a drum kit, record the kick drum, go and kick the thing into a, like set up a microphone, set up a line, run it all through hardware, kick the kick drum, then edit it and whatnot in post. That's already so much work just to get a kick drum recorded. It's like, I'm not going to want to go that much more complicated after that. Cause I feel like I've already done so much complicated shit just to get there. Right. Um, so to get to a point where stuff is like, you know, very complicated and edited and, um, sequenced and all of that stuff. I, I almost feel like I need to just use like a simple kick sample with a simple EQ, not really think about those two, two decisions too much because there's a shitload of other things to think about in the process. I find it helpful just to have sound design days where you'll just go and you'll make a series of kick drums or a series of snaps or percussion or whatever. And, right. and then you can go down the rabbit hole of, you know, doing as much processing and complicated processing on them as you want. So that they're, then they just become writing tools later. Totally. Yeah. Like compartmentalize your time sort of thing. Yeah. And then they're still, they're unique and they're yours. And I always find, 
the stuff I make myself always sounds a hundred times better than anything else. I, I, it's weird, you know. I that that's something that is complicated about the whole like sample pack model now. Is I think you know so much of so much of your own individuality. Like for instance, say say you're a guitar player, and it's your it's your tone, it's your fingers, it's you know the guitar you use, it's all the stuff that's really personal. And that's why, like, you hear Eric Clapton, and you don't even need to know it's Eric Clapton, but you know it's Clapton. Just the way he bends a note. It's it's the personality of it. And So I heard you say this in another podcast. I think it was, um, I don't know, the one on Magnetic or Revolt or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You're talking about the Eric Clapton and stuff again. And, and when I, <laughs> I heard that... I keep coming back to him, yeah. I mean, it's a, he's a great example. He's a very unique player. Yeah. Um, but like I, my instant thought was like, you can kind of get that as well out of the digital realm. You don't like, the oh, I'm way not saying you can't, right? I, my point is that's why I think it's important to, to do your own sound design. Okay. To yeah, like gotcha. create your own guitar tone, mm. because that's what, if, if you're using these, you know, presets and, you know, pre-made samples, even if you mix it, you know, decently enough it's still not going to sound that original sonically mm. i mean musically that's a different thing but i'm just talking about the pure sonic aspects of it right but what am i what about like um <clears throat> i don't know like an example stevie wonder or something he's using like a what a, a hammond Rhodes or something like yeah, that or, or sure. a dx or, a Whirly or, or whatever yeah whatever he's using i mean a thousand other people are using that as well maybe m- way yeah. more than a thousand but like he he still sounds very Stevie Wondery, so he's he's subject to the same instrument and the same sound, but like he's playing in particular is is what yeah. Um, but it's his feel, it's his timing, it, it's everything. It's you know the velocity of his fingertips hitting. It's his note choice. It's it's him being a player, right? But that's what I'm saying is I think um, to some degree, in the digital realm, uh, the equivalent there would be sequencing, right? Like uh injecting groove into stuff in your own way like maybe for instance you might create a hi-hat groove by uh playing something in with your hands and then extracting the groove from that recording and applying it to a midi hi-hat part or something Mm -hmm. versus me where i might um you know write a midi part in with my hands and then like use a max for live lfo to uh lfo the groove right modulated in some way right right and both things are going to sound slightly different slightly unique uh so i guess in that way i think like the the process in which you use to get to your end result has a lot to do with your sound and i think um a lot of people ask me often how do you like get a unique sound and how how do you end up with that thing where when somebody listens to your track they're like i fucking know that's a mr bill track or a matt lang track right um and i think that's a like a big part of it is like you get to you get to it through just like your process, right? And I think all you can really do to get there is just fucking spend a lot of time writing music yeah, and then course. you'll eventually sort of tend to the to the same processes over and over again, which is yeah. also problematic because eventually that can feel uninspiring and boring and then you have to switch some shit up. Well, I think that's a good thing. I mean, that that's ultimately what becomes style, I think, too. Mm. yeah exactly i mean in electronic music that's exactly what what Mm. the style is it's you know what you gravitate towards again whether whether you're making electronic music or 
or you're playing Motown, it it's it's your note choice. It's your your inflection. So this this um <clears throat> there's something I wanted to talk about that I have as a note here that kind of would be good off the end of this conversation is why like what I have written down is like why people like the music that they like, but this um, also relates to why people would make the decisions that they make in music production. So for instance, going back to that same example, like why you would record a hi-hat in and why I would import a sample or, you know, why let's say even simpler than that, let's just say I give you a folder of a hundred hi-hats and me a folder of a hundred hi-hats, like why I would pick one of them and why you would maybe pick another one. Totally. Um, And I think there's three things that go into that. One is environmental factors. Another one is biological factors. And another one is peer factors, Mm -hmm. especially in the music realm. So um, just to break those down a little further, um, environmental factors, I would class as like where where you sort of live and grew up. Upbringing and all that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, let's say you lived like next to an industrial factory area or something like that. Perhaps like your ears are slightly damaged from that. Or, you know, if you caught the bus to school every day, perhaps like hearing the the squealiness of the bus brakes could be a sound that you find enjoyable now because of association of your youth or something. Right. Um, and then biological factors, obviously like the shape and the length of your ear canals and the curvature of your penis and all of that sort of stuff. Right. And then your peer factors, like what, what your friends like and having the, you know, everyone feels the need to sort of fit in and that sort of dates back to tribal living. So yeah. um, there's also that. So I think that's a pretty interesting thing to think about as well. And I think that's something that people often completely disregard when asking that question of like, how do I develop my own sound? It's like you kind of already have it in built. Well, something I think that's always um, interesting too is they say the music that influences your taste for the rest of your life is that what you listen to when you were an adolescent. Oh yeah, that makes total sense actually. So, and it totally does cuz still my favorite music is stuff that came out 1999. Right. Um and I think that also is a big part of my aesthetic and that's like I I mean I grew up I'm I'm a rock and metal guy at heart. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, definitely some like classical and ambient stuff, but I didn't like the only electronic music I I liked when I was of that age was the IDM stuff, um, Aphex Twin, Square Pusher, and then, you know, later Telephone and Richard Devine and whatnot. But, um, like house music and, and techno and all that's the electronic music side that was going on mainly in the nineties was something I didn't have any connection with. I just didn't listen to it aside from my dad, my dad's a photographer. And I, uh, I grew up with, I grew up in a photo studio basically, and they were playing house music a lot of the time. And it was, uh, like early nineties house and lots of seal. And then I remember like Madonna's erotica, but so that kind of stuff I have baked in me a bit, but like the rave scene, I don't have that baked into me at all. It was just something I was never even aware of until I was probably 22 years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. So consequently, like my aesthetic though, like what I think of a hi hat, like I, my first thought is Josh Freese's sound on a perfect circles, 13th step. Right. Yeah. Like something really, sort of nice and acoustic sounding like it's yeah it's something and i later duda actually steve duda was uh he worked on that record and Mm. apparently actually yeah the way they tracked his drums it was just in josh freese's garage um and they just did it uh just straight into a bunch of api 512s and that was it and i was like wow you know it's it's the player 
<laughs> but uh, absolutely, I, I always find it funny how like um, another thing that a lot of people have like this limiting belief system is that oh, I don't like have the studio that I need to to get the result that I want, or I don't have the gear that I need, or I don't have the anything that I you know something's holding me back. But it, but really, it's like at this point, if you have a laptop and even a MacBook microphone, yeah, you you could probably get some. I mean, pretty- that's how they did the vocal for Bangarang. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, at this point, there's been entire feature-length films launched at cinemas that have made millions of dollars in the box office shot off iPhones, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. um, Yeah, definitely at this point, gear is not a problem. But you always hear those stories from back in the day that are always impressive, and I don't even know why I'm impressed anymore, but like just hearing like, oh, this was recorded in a garage and it sounds that good or like Butch Vig doing some shit with Nirvana drums where it's just like, Oh yeah, that was just some crap they did in a bathroom or something. It's like, I don't know why that impresses me, but it, because it's uncommon. It's uncommon, but it's also like still a shitload more than what we're working with today. And we're able to sort of somehow not get as good results in a lot of cases. Well, I, I think there are, there's a lot to be said for experience. Um, when you have Butch Vig recording drums in a bathroom, you have to take Butch Vig's 20 years of experience of recording things professionally and well. Mm. So it's not, he's not just walking into a bathroom, like not knowing what he's doing. Like this might be a fun idea. You know, right. he, he's got an education. He's got all this experience. He knows how he wants things to sound and he knows how to execute that. Yeah. He's like thinking about, he probably just knows so well, like how microphones pick up audio that he's like, Oh, the reflection off like this thing, right. if I put the microphone right here, it's going to sound like this. And right. So it all comes down to experience. And, and that's why I think with anything, I mean, yeah, we have music's in a really interesting space right now because now you have the ability for anybody to be able to make it without any budget required at all. And that is new within the last 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I think that's awesome and liberating for the art scene though. Uh, I think it has ups and downs like anything. Right. I mean, like on one side, you kind of have not as much gatekeeping. uh, But then again, I mean, a lot of the gatekeeping uh, back in the day was just financial. Like, yeah, you're literally just holding back people who just didn't have the money to buy APIs or nice drum kits or anything like that. But then again, I mean, maybe those financially unable people sort of made art in their own ways. And I'm sure well, they, they definitely did. Um, it's, it's really interesting because yes, I mean, there, there is no gatekeeper anymore really, but um, I, I definitely do think, I think there should be at least of some kind because there is a lot of stuff that goes out that is very, unrealized and I don't want to sound like a pretentious jerk about saying this but like I, I think there's an arrogance now and it may, it's an entitlement maybe it's a generational thing too but just because you made your first song doesn't mean the rest of the world needs to hear it right but I mean who who should get to choose that then uh, well I don't know anymore um, right. and that that's the thing because I do find what has happened is you have a lot more music coming out um from from creators who who have no traditional learning which isn't necessarily a bad thing like Kurt Cobain didn't you know go to music school um but i i think the difference is Kurt Cobain had to get good enough at his instrument or good enough as a songwriter i mean that i mean more than anything he was a phenomenal songwriter that 
the gatekeeper at the time decided that, you know, you're an incredible artist. We want to, we're going to release you, whatever. But don't, don't you think to some degree now, uh, that given the playing field that everyone's on, the gatekeeper now is almost just everyone and therefore that is kind of sick. Yes. And that's, and that's the problem. (laughs) Okay. So you think like, uh, you think that there should be like a more educated gatekeeper in place than I just do. everyone who listens. Well, okay. Why though? Because just like, let's say food, right? Everybody is sort of a professional at what they like to eat. Like, you know right. what you like the taste of. Um, why do you need like some chef being like, no, you've got to eat this fucking seared octopus when you're maybe like, ah, oh, octopus, like the texture of it makes me feel weird. And the whole thing just looks fucking gross. Like I actually don't, I mean, this is just an example. I actually love octopus, but like <laughs> if you're just like, I, you know, fuck that. Like that's disgusting. Why would I eat that fucking thing with its legs and shit? Um, but they're like, you know, some professional chef from France or something. Who's just like, no, I, I'm a professional. Like I know this is good from like an objective standpoint. Because well, I, I will, I will give you a reverse example, okay. which is very topical to right now. Why should we open up the economy? We have a ton of people saying that we need to, but the experts are saying we shouldn't. Who should we Mm -hmm. listen to? Well, I mean, in the interest of public health, obviously the experts who have been studying medicine for their whole life. But the thing with music is it doesn't kill people. (laughs) No, but that doesn't matter. I still think, you know, those there's a reason why we have critics. There's a reason why we had gatekeepers. And don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not justifying all their actions or saying they made the right choices of what to release or not release. But. I do think we, the reason why we have experts is because we trust their taste. And I think the human population as a whole does not have good taste. I mean, that's why we have Jersey Shore or what, (laughs) you know, that's how that happened. And reality TV became a thing because it was so cheaply to produce and everybody watched it. And we've, I mean, when was the last time an original movie was made that wasn't, you know, a remake or another another Marvel movie? And the market says it's great because every time Marvel comes out with a movie, it grosses a billion dollars. But it comes back to like the Scorsese thing. And he got under fire for saying, you know, a Marvel movie is like going to Disneyland or, you know, you're riding a roller coaster, but it's not cinema. Mm -hmm. And now everyone's opinions are hurt because how dare you say something that I love is not worthwhile. Well, I mean, he didn't say it's not worthwhile. He just said it's not cinema, right? Right, right. Well, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm projecting how people respond. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I know. I agree with you in that sense. Like, um, definitely, yeah, maybe maybe Martin Scorsese should just gatekeep everything. You know, and, and here's the funny thing. Like, I, so, I mean, that came out right before The Irishman came out, right? And, or that story came out right before his film. And so then I... I watched The Irishman and I loved it. And then I thought, you know what? I agree, Marty. That was that was a beautifully well done film. I have never said that about anything Avengers related. (laughs) I don't actually think I've watched an Avengers movie, but I have a pair of Avengers socks. (laughs) I don't know where I got them, but I have them. (laughs) Like they're not terrible movies by any means. They're just. I mean, it's kind of like a. And I don't know, it's like a... It's like eating McDonald's cheeseburger. Yeah, or a popular EDM song. It's like a bunch of explosions and crazy sounds and... Yeah, and a gigantic cast. You know, it's huge names. Right, right. Uh, And that, it's it's almost like it's an easy way out in a way. Yeah, interesting. Cool. I mean, yeah, I think there's some insights in there. I'd be interested to see what what the comments are for this section of the podcast, just because I I know this was like something that... 
there is no right answer for and everyone has an opinion about it seems so yeah i mean i i know how this comes off on me usually so <laughs> not the first time right people will probably be like oh you're pretentious but i mean i don't know i think it's fine to have a and, yeah well, and then i disagree I mean, with them right, or right. I, i'm like yeah you're right <laughs> yeah no i think it's good to have a well-rounded opinion and i think it's good to stand your ground on what you believe this is like this area of discussion like what is objectively good or if that such a thing exists in art and should somebody be able to control that is just such a strange topic that i I don't think i have an answer for well it's we're not gonna be able to control it that's the thing um you know ever since like soundcloud happened and it changed music production Mm. and suddenly you know the some of the biggest music in the world was soundcloud rap right right and this is something that never existed before. I mean, you listen to like that first, what, XXX Tentacion album. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was in Dave Pensato's studio like two years ago. It was right when this thing broke. And, and they're playing me this XXX song that, and I, I hadn't heard any of this. And they were like, they didn't tell me what it was. They just said, listen to how bad the mix is. And so I listened to, and it, it sounded like an absolute mess. I mean, it was just one of... And then they told me what it was and that it was the number one song right now. And they all just said, we're not going to have jobs anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, if this is what you can get away with and this is popular now, then yeah, uh, everything we know is sort of not necessary. It, it, it is. And then on a songwriting side, you know, look at the lyrics that we have right now. I mean, God, it, it, it's offensive. Um, just like... <laughs> The education level, like the reading level, it's it's unbelievable how... So to some degree, I, I agree with what you're saying here. And I've experienced this a bit. Like I feel like I put quite a lot of effort into my mix downs and my production and I, my sound design. And I have for like 10 years at this point. And when I guess like dubstep started becoming more prevalent, and this is like post Skrillex by a long, like by five years, right? Yeah. So maybe three years ago. Um, okay. And all of this stuff started getting big that I guess would fall under like the Wook category of mm-hmm. bass music. I was kind of like, how is this getting popular? Because the production is so bad. But then when I listened to it on a big sound system at a show, I understood it completely. Like when you listen to it in a studio, it's um, it's very dry, very right. minimal. Uh, sounds like an unfinished tune with no mix down. But when you go into a large setting, like a festival or a or a large uh, you know hall that's all made of stone or something, and there's like a giant fucking sound system, the bleed of the sound system crossovers uh, kind of fill in a lot of that bareness that you would hear in the studio. And right. because it, because it's so dry, the room sort of adds all the reverb to it, and then it just sounds cleaner than everything else. Right. That, that make that makes sense. Right. So what it made me realize is it's not bad. It's just a creation specifically supposed to be enjoyed in that that right, environment. it's environmental yeah, exactly yeah. yeah it's very like designed for that thing um so in that sense i mean it's kind of the you could almost say the same thing it's like i, I don't always want to engage with a scorsese movie and sometimes i want to engage with a fucking mindless reality tv show right totally um so in that sense i'm glad both things exist yeah it's i mean we need it's that whole thing you need, you without the sour the sweet isn't as sweet mm-hmm. so you need both sides of it i personally would love to see a, a little bit more uh 
emphasis on craft. Right. And, uh, you know, not, not putting out, I mean, it's funny I say that cause I mean, I'm putting out two songs a week right now, but, um, in general, like, I, I think it's important to take time and it's, you know, really develop what you're trying to do. I mean, yeah, sure. Some of the best songs are written in five minutes, but just cause the song was written in five minutes didn't mean the whole production of it took five minutes. Right. Yeah. It's easy to, um, base, value on effort invested too right it is and but it's I, also fallacious or fa- yeah it's, it's like yeah, a fall- fallacy to do that yeah it, it is um it, it's an interesting thing and then i wonder how much of it is you know i'm just trying to you know basically protect my own bias and uh because i mean i obviously have one and and how much of it is also self-preservation you know like <laughs> rationalizing my own existence and my own uh my own methodology and my own experience i mean you know why why did i study music for god basically 15 years you know when i could have just downloaded fruity loops and made a beat and then next thing you know i have the biggest song ever cuz i sampled 9 inch nails like well, if your goal is growth and success in yeah. the realm of doing shows and and selling records and stuff, which to some degree has to be the goal if you want to make it your full-time job, um, then yeah, I mean, knowing the craft and all of that stuff is for sure not 100% necessary to do that. It's not 100% necessary to achieve that goal. But I mean, the reason <clears throat> you study and, and get better at these things is because it's fulfilling, right? Like you learn a new how to use a new plugin totally. or a, new, a new module and yeah. you know, especially with modular it's like you're tinkering around you eventually go like oh fuck like i understand what this is doing now this is so interesting and like the way that this routing works and the clocking of this thing is a bit fucky but i figured it out and like all of that is like very fulfilling and enjoyable and that's i, I mean that's almost like the reward for me not the the money and the shows but although that's obviously oh necessary. no yeah, yeah i mean you need money so you can keep doing it but that's about it Right, but you do it for that fulfillment, not not for yeah, the other. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, for me, I just want to play guitar all day usually. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> so you need money to be able to sit at home and do that. But apart and from buy that, buy more guitars. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah. by proxy of you wanting to do that, I mean that's where you get the the craft is yeah. because oh, absolutely. Wanna, yeah, I think it's um what we might see a little bit out of this coronavirus thing too is. Uh, a lot of people who just weren't in music for the right reason in the first place might sort of get siphoned. Drop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think in a way this is a very health thing, a very healthy like culling of the herd for the for the art industry, perhaps. Yes, yeah. it's like a lot of people who who are going to get really tested here. But unfortunately, on the other side of that is like some of these people who are going to get really tested probably are people whose hearts are in it for the right reason and they just can't do it because it's. Too I mean, that, financially that's, difficult right now. That's happening on a health front too. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, this is the ultimate uh, thinning of the herd in every way. For sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm always talking about this from an artist standpoint, um, yeah. which from for this podcast makes sense because I'm an artist. But I'm sure if I was a doctor, I'd be talking about everything here more from a health standpoint. But I feel like there's enough podcasts doing that at the moment. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just saying like, it's just, it's the parallel. Um, oh, of course, yeah. You know, how many, how many, and I'm putting the 
title artist in quotations, but how many, you know, artists careers are going to die because they can't make it through this. Um, yeah. Which is a shame. And I hope, I mean, there's some things in place for that. There's like, well, here's uh, the thing, art grants and stuff like that. I've seen popping up and I'm hoping that that's going to stop I, that from happening. I think as an artist, this time is actually incredible. Oh yeah. I mean, you don't have like the, you can do whatever you want. Right. Exactly. And you don't have the, um, uh, the time sink of having to do right. shows and prepare sets and all of that stuff. None, and then none of that. Right. And then on top of that, you have like all these extra eyes on things like Twitch and stuff like that. Like I think as far as like personal development goes and artistic growth, this is, this is a gift. Oh, it's like I'm precedented how good this is in that yeah. way for sure. Um, now, yeah. if you base your entire, your entire income off live shows and touring. Yeah. You're fucked. <laughs> and, and especially if you were in like the DJ side of it, well, then you were just a DJ, right? You know, and shit happens. So I, I, I don't feel bad about those people either because it, it all comes down to the motivation of like, you know, why, why do you want to write this song? Why do you want to do this to make money? Do you want to do it because you love the experience, you know, the craft of it, whatever. Um, like, you know, it's basically what we were going back to before, but I, I think also if you can't find a way to, to adapt in this current situation, and and expand or grow or whatever and and you ultimately bottom out then i i mean i i just don't think you were going to make it in the first place yeah the the music industry is definitely pretty cutthroat and i feel like in that sense you might be right however i do think um i mean i don't know like i'm a proponent of shit like universal basic income and stuff like that so i think like anyone who's like trying to be an artist should be able to try yeah and shouldn't have this sort of cutthroatiness uh, pride upon them and i also think that if that were the case the time that we're in now would be sort of commonplace and you probably get a lot more like well thought art out of it versus this i need to do this just so i can have a career just so i can make money just so i can you know do the do the fucking well i think and that's what's i mean the great thing is there as an artist i mean theoretically if you know you know some of our income's passive and we're not we don't wait you know, for the most part for, you know, a, a biweekly paycheck or anything like that. Like, you know, anyone who works a nine to five does or something like that. So the only difference really in income theoretically for us should be live shows. Mm -hmm. Everything else hasn't really changed that much. Um, I did notice some of like a lot of my work on the production side that slowed down, of course, because um, other people aren't working. But anything you're doing for yourself as an artist now you just have more time to do it. Right. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. Cool, man. Well, um, we should probably start wrapping up here, but I wanted to ask, uh, what's going on with the tap tempo podcast? Ooh, um, tap tempo. I was supposed to start it up again. Um, well, it's been on a far too long hiatus now. Uh, I was just doing it all myself and ultimately I got overwhelmed and I was trying to, you know, I was on the road a lot and I was trying to write and everything. So I took a break and then that break just kind of kept on going. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then I wrote another album in the meantime and life happens. And then I was supposed to start it up again during this whole, uh, pandemic thing. And I was like, you know, we'll do it over zoom and everything like that. And I became too involved in, um, I've been doing this project for the past, well, six weeks now 
um, this like isolated project where I'm just, you know, writing music. Basically, like if I was basically in, if I'm watching this whole thing as a movie, I'm writing my own score for it. I suppose ah, that's like, you know, like the best way to describe it. Yeah, I've uh, thought about doing that before, like um, writing a soundtrack to a movie that doesn't exist or writing a soundtrack uh, to a game that doesn't exist. Yeah. So I've been doing that now for seven or eight, seven weeks. And that's taken all my time. Right. Uh, because it's, you know, to write and release. Basically, I'm doing two tracks a week, minus one, which was a full song. And it was just like start to finish, full vocals, everything. It was all live instruments. I mean, it was the fact that I did that in six days is kind of unbelievable to me. Um, that was my life. And I just prioritized. It was like, what matters most to me right now is is writing writing music. And I, from a PR standpoint, I'd definitely, you know, <laughs> I'd have more attention if I was doing the podcast but I, uh, frankly, I just want to write music. That's, that's ultimately what, you know, my biggest passion in life is anyway. It's, you know, I, I want to write. Well, it's fulfilling. Like once, uh, <clears throat> once you get a song finished, it's nice to sit back and be like, all right, fuck yeah, that's great. That's finished. That sounds really good. And oh man. I never get that. Really? I, I, I always keep thinking like, oh, nope, that's not right. That's not right. That's not got to fix that. Got to fix that. And then it's like, uh, it of has course, but like it, if you spend a whole day writing music and then you wake up, oh, I mean, just at the end of the day, like if you've spent six hours writing music and it's been fairly productive, I don't yeah. know about you, but I've placed a lot of self value on how productive I've Oh, totally. Yeah. And writing music is almost like the end goal, final frontier of things to be productive with. It's like yeah. if I finish my day being like, ah, oh, I cleaned the house, I'd be like, cool. I was pretty productive. I cleaned the house. Yep. But yep. if I spend that same amount of hours, like let's say it took me four hours to clean the house, but I spend four hours on music and I get a really good start to a tune, even right. if there's so That's many things success. wrong with it. Exactly. Yeah. At the end of the day, I feel way more successful. Totally. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. Fuck yeah, dude. All right. Well, um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, yeah, man, my I'd love to have you on again sometime. I'd love to do one in person when all this yeah, is Yeah, right. No kidding. <laughs> that would be yeah, better. For sure. But yeah, man. All right. Well, have a good one. All right, man. Take care. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast.